The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing something special. It's the ninth Doctor. Christopher Eccleston is back as the Doctor in a big Finnish audio story, uh, the first part of which is called Sphere of Freedom. And we'll tell you all about what that's about in a second. But first, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Folks, be sure to uh, go to Apple Podcasts and write us a nice five-star review. That helps us get the show out to more people. It, it gooses the algorithm over there and tells them that people are watching and enjoying. Also, Spotify now does ratings. So if you listen to our podcast on Spotify, give us a nice rating over there as well. And, of course, be sure to share the podcast with your friends and help us grow this great community of Doctor Who fans. I want to tell you about another show on the network you're sure to enjoy called American Catholic History. You can find it at sqpn.com slash history or wherever fine podcasts are found. So as I hinted, we are talking about this Ninth Doctor story. Christopher Eccleston is back for the first time as the Ninth Doctor in a big Finnish audio production that came out in May of 2021. Yeah, so uh, as people may be aware, Christopher Eccleston was not originally planned to do just one season of the revived Doctor Who. Instead, he was scheduled to do more than that, but he had such an unpleasant time doing that first season that he quit. And so mm -hmm. we only ever got one season of him. He was mad. He's talked about, uh, it took a while to emerge, but over the years, he's talked about how he got mad with several key individuals, one of whom was Russell T. Davies. Mm -hmm. And so he left. He didn't want anything to do with Doctor Who again. Uh, he never planned on returning to the role, but he was at a convention a couple of years ago. And at the convention, uh, he he like had a, his birthday happened to coincide with the convention, if I recall correctly. And everyone at the convention was so kind to him mm. that he really warmed up again. And he still didn't want to work with Russell T. Davies anymore. But Big Finish said, well, you know, we got these audio plays. Would would you? consider doing some of those and he agreed and so now they've come out with several sets of christopher eccleston as the ninth doctor uh this is the first of them and it's called the ravagers and it's a three-part it's three audio plays that form one connected story which is a little different than what big finish sets normally are like um some of their stories they release as standalones in their monthly range but they also release sets which typically have three or four parts and normally it's three or four mostly standalone stories. Um, they'll introduce an element in the first one that then carries on through the middle ones and pays off in the fourth story. But for the most part, their sets are usually independent stories that only culminate in the together in the final one. This time, though, it's a three-part story. Each play is like Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3 of the story. And so we're going to be covering it uh, it, for Christopher Eccleston's grand return, we're going to be covering it in kind of royal style. This week, we're going to do Act 1, next week, Act 2, and then Act 3. Mm -hmm. Yes, very exciting. Mm -hmm. And it's and they do them at uh, 
It's interesting how Big Finish does it. For the the episodes or the stories that involve classic doctors, they do it in the classic doctor format where you have like say four 20 minute to 30 minute uh, uh, episodes that make one story. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the new who doctors, it's it's 42 minutes, just like a TV show. And so this yep. is a, a standard 42 minute uh, story in three parts. So, yeah. Um, yeah, they also use audio set dressing to achieve the same effect. So in any mm-hmm. any doctor you're listening to, like the opening theme music will be the theme music that was used right. in that period. So we get the theme music from the first season of the revival series from 2005 yeah. in this. So uh, and like I said, this came out in May of 2021. So it's it's relatively brand new. It's under a year old as yes. we record this. In fact, it was recorded remotely during the covid lockdowns. Right, mm. right. Sounds really good. So, Jimmy, why don't you give us a recap of what happens in this one? The Ninth Doctor has yet to come to Earth and meet Rose Tyler. So this is before the 2005 revival. At the moment, he's on a planet called the Sphere of Freedom, which is obsessed with immersive virtual reality video games. The problem is something on the planet is causing time eddies that are ripping great nasty holes in reality, according to the Doctor. Something pulled the TARDIS to 1959 London where the Doctor encountered a group of rampaging Roman legion uh, legionnaires who had been displaced in time and had already killed 300 modern Londoners. In hopes of undoing this historical event, the Doctor traced the time eddy that moved the Romans, and the trail of time particles led him to the sphere of freedom. There, he met Nova, a local chef who becomes his temporary companion, pre-Rose Tyler again. With Nova's help, the Doctor discovers that the Time Eddies are coming from stolen technology that's being used to feed content into a super-exclusive game called Fugitives. The Doctor builds a gizmo and asks Nova to plant it in the server room to disable the technology that's controlling the Time Eddies, but when she does, something goes wrong, and Nova is swallowed by a Time Eddy and transported to parts unknown. The Doctor then meets a local old woman named Audrey, who quizzes the Doctor about what's been happening. But she knows more than she should, and the Doctor is suspicious. It turns out that Audrey is the CEO of the Sphere of Freedom and thus responsible for the time eddies wrecking the universe. Audrey tries to arrest the Doctor, but he gets away, so she uses a time eddy to swallow both him and the TARDIS and slam him into the gravity well of a neutron star. The gravity well is filled with creatures ready to devour all matter in the universe, and the Doctor is first on the menu. The end. Hmm. Uh, Audrey played by Mark Zuckerberg. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I was, was going to say the Spear, so I was gonna say Spear of Freedom brought to you by Meta slash Facebook, but... <laughs> yeah. Ripped from the headlines, as they say. Uh, now, just in the overall, I have to say, Eccleston, it just really feels like it's the ninth Doctor again. He's mm-hmm. Yeah, he's quite, back. He's not oh, yeah. quite as wacky as he is kind of a bit with with Rose, you know, but he's still noticeably, he still recognizably the ninth doctor. And that's really nice to, to get that again. And one of the things big finish is really good about is writing for the voices Mm. of the different doctors. So he doesn't talk like Tom Baker talks or like Patrick Troughton talks. He talks like Christopher Eccleston's doctor talks. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, we, and you get a lot of the elements of, of his doctor, you get psychic paper gets used and those, those other different bits. And so it, it's really feels of its time. So the story itself is, 
it's told out of sequence, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. So you kind of start in the middle of the story, and then the doctor almost almost, almost at the end. It's really, the the, yeah. the framing narrative is the doctor talking to Audrey. It starts with him meeting Audrey just as Nova vanishes into a time eddy, and then it uses flashbacks to tell us how we got right. to this point, and then it continues with the reveal of who Audrey is and the doctor getting getting neutron starred. Right, and Nova is essentially. She's not exactly a companion because she hasn't traveled on the TARDIS, but she's sort of plays that that role, if you will. Yeah. Uh, in in she, this story, over the three parts, she is effectively a companion. Right. Right. So they're trying to shut down immersive games. That's what it's called to prevent these time eddies, which are VR games, and apparently they're not even holodeck level. Yeah. They're they're headset level because Nova mm. at one point talks about how. The doctor stood out because he was the only person walking around not wearing a VR headset. Right. Right. Yeah. And and he, by the way, this is not like a VR critique. This is a corporate greed critique. The doctor mm-hmm. says he has no problem with immersive reality games. In fact, there's one uh, that he names that he's particularly enthusiastic about, says he loves playing that. Yeah. Geraldo's World, I think he calls it. Um, oh, yeah. Geraldo's. Yeah, Geraldo. Right, right. You got to say the <laughs> the, the non Spanish way. <laughs> yes. So the uh, it's interesting how when the doctor first meets Audrey, this who just looks like an old woman sell, trying to sell him a gamer headset, he's kind of abrupt and rude to her. He doesn't know who she is yet, as far as we know. <laughs> His friend yeah. has just vanished into a time, Eddie. Yeah. Also, we should mention. So Nova is an an indentured cook on this planet. Mm-hmm. She she gets she gets paid like room and board and some low grade gaming credits and that's it. And that's how most of the employees of this planet are. They don't make actual income. So the doctor perceives this uh, indentured status as if it's a form of slavery and he wants to liberate people. And he promises to Nova's parents couldn't like we're having money problems. So they, they basically sold her into indentures so that she'd have something of a future and which is like in in the ancient world people who were in financial problems would sell themselves into slavery but the doctor wants to liberate nova and presumably everybody else on the sphere mm-hmm. of freedom and he promises to take that if he help if she helps him he will take her to somewhere nice so right. he's he's obligated to her she's f- come through on her end of the deal she helped right. and now he's obligated to get her somewhere nice even though she's vanished and so, uh, as he exp- as he's uh, talking to Audrey and explaining, you know what what happened. He we get this flashback to London in 1959, where the Doctor has been uh, pulled by the you know the TARDIS has been mm-hmm. pulled there because of these time eddies. Um, and what we find out is that 80 Roman centurions, so a Roman cent, uh, I mean not centurions, century. Roman so- soldiers, a century, uh, which is they have a fun little where he explain where he talks about a century doesn't actually have 100 soldiers has 80 right uh, uh but they've been displaced in time they've killed like 300 londoners in in mm-hmm. this they've, they've shown up and because because they panicked they were on yeah. the eve or they were in the process of trying of going to queen Boudicca, who was an early british local monarch who from the like the first or second century who is quite famous and they were going to engage Boudicca's forces when suddenly that they found themselves in london with traffic and cars and honking and noise and they 
they thought they had been transported to the world of the gods or the world of the spirits or something and and freaked out and yeah. started attacking people. Yeah, they ended up in Piccadilly Circus, which is kind of like New York's Times Square. It's a very busy, you know, intersection, kind of mm-hmm. crazy. I can imagine if you're displaced out of time by 2000 mm-hmm. years, that would be quite disorienting. Uh, it, it, my first reaction wouldn't actually be start killing people, though, I have to say. <laughs> uh, mine too, I guess. Uh, there's a, the, the military has put a cover story in place. This is pre-unit, so this is British military. A cover story in place about bombs exploding and that they think the Russians are behind it, the Soviets. And uh, you know, Also, the, also yep. uh, was it? I thought that it was that they were like, I mean, they thought the Russians might be involved in whatever the soldiers mm-hmm. are doing. But the cover story, I understood it, was like they had found a, a couple of World War II era bombs that had gone off because that exactly. was a real problem in Britain for years after the war. There had been World War II Nazi bombs that had fallen and, and made craters and gotten buried and occasionally they'd be dug up and still live. Yeah. And so I my understanding was that it was they were, the cover story was that some World War Two era bombs had gone off, but they thought the Russians were behind this incursion with the guys right. in the Roman getup. Oh, that, that's okay. exactly so, it. And so they, they yeah. closed the, the official stories. They closed it off because they thought there was a third, you know, another one there, another bomb there. But then, yeah, I see. Because, yeah. of course, you know, 59 was really the start of the the the, the, the Cold serious War. Cold War, yeah. you know, the serious yeah. part of the Cold War that were the, the the hottest part of the Cold War, I guess I should say. So, yeah, and that made a good one story. of the hot spots, certainly. Yeah, yeah, because during the Blitz, lots of bombs dropped by the Germans and some of them didn't explode and <laughs> just laid there for years until people found them. And that was a problem, actually. I mean, was the, that there actually were bombs that exploded unexpectedly. Mm hmm. Well, in London was, at times. There were, you know, in, in Britain, there was the World War II bombs. In France, even to this day, they still find World War I munitions. Yeah. Like mines and things like that that have been buried. So it's a, it's it's still a problem, I, I believe, in, in much of that, much of Europe. You got to be careful when you're digging around in Europe, digging holes. Uh, so they, the doctor's uh, Latin is um, up to snuff because he's got the TARDIS <laughs> translation <laughs> circuits to help him. You think? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he talks to the 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 centurion who he, leads he kinda, this. He yeah. kind of chides one of the military officials who's got a posh accent and would have gone to a British uh, fancy school. And it's like, don't you don't even recognize the Latin, <laughs> right? You should know your Latin. You probably went to Eton or something. Uh, but uh, he talks to the the centurion who's called uh, Marcus Aurelius Gallius. Do you did you recognize his name? The actor's uh, the actor's uh, voice, by the way, of Marcus. Mm-mm. The, Dan Starkey, who plays oh, Strax yeah. and various other Sontarans. Uh, That's New okay. Yeah, that, yeah. I, I saw his name on the list, and it's like, why does that name sound familiar? Yeah, ah. Dan Starkey. So, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. It, that's one of the things I like about Big Finish. They bring in a lot of these actors uh, from from New Who. And uh, so the, the doctor talks to him, and basically he's figuring it out a way to keep this event from ever occurring. Because, of course, history does not record a bunch of Roman uh, soldiers slaughtering hundreds of people in Piccadilly Circus in 1959 so something obviously is messing with with time so he uh he's um going to fix this but before he can he's got this he's got this lieutenant Faraday who's been accompanying him who's been assigned who's been to assigned to accompany him yeah, yeah by uh, Captain Halloran uh the doctor's posing as someone from the war department the war office and that's uh, how he uses the psychic paper right 
And uh, so as they're heading to the TARDIS, a Time Eddie comes along and sweeps Faraday away into the future, uh, where he ends up in a, Faraday ends up in a futuristic battle arena where he's facing down a robotic warrior, like a, like a big mecha warrior uh, mm. sort of thing. Yeah. In my notes, I have Faraday robot fighter, which <laughs> is, is, a, is a reference in, to me to a comic book that uh, was not by one of the big two, but it was kind of popular in the, I guess, 60s maybe 70s, called Magnus Robot Fighter, about a guy in the year 4000 AD who mm-hmm. fought robots for public entertainment. Ah, okay. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, well, this is this is Faraday. He ends up, it's, I mean, it's almost like Thor Ragnarok, where, you know, he's thrown into this arena, he's got to fight the champion, and it's, it's or, or uh, BattleBots, which is, another, which is you know, the, uh, the current TV show about people building little robots to fight. Uh, but he ends up there. Now, is it the Sphere of Freedom that he ends up? I, I wasn't sure. I, I it's been a while since I've listened to all three parts, so I remember we get we do get more with him in the future because he okay. gets basically swept away, and we get enough of an orienting scene to realize he's in some kind of arena. But um, and like his round is coming up, and then we cut mm-hmm. away, and we don't hear anything more about him in this episode, but we do in the future. Okay, okay, good, good, because yeah, I was, I was surprised that the, we just kind of drop him, and the but so that must be his thread gets picked up later. Yeah, this it's really atypical for the way Big Finish normally does these sets. They're normally much more self-contained. Right. So the Doctor, meanwhile, is trying to figure out the source of the Time Eddies, and that leads him to the Sphere of Freedom. Is this like a Dyson Sphere? Is that like is 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 it or like a? No, it's it's just a planet. Um, going all the way back to the first Doctor's time, there is a. a periodic custom that doctor who uses of referring to planets as spheres Mm. that came out in um the sense sphere where we had okay we had those aliens that helped uh awaken susan's psychic abilities and then the ood sphere in the revived doctor who is like a sister planet for the sense sphere and so now we have the sphere of freedom okay Mm. right right interesting so the doctor is trying to track down the source of the time eddies. And so he's walking, you know, through parts of this sphere of freedom and he's unintentionally following Nova. They're both going the same way. She's on her way to work and, and she gets. So we have this interesting exchange between her and the doctor where she's like, stop following me. I'm not following you. I'm just going the same direction you are. And and then so she ends up letting him go in front and then he stops and waits for her to catch up because he decides he wants to talk to her anyway. Yeah. And so they have this, this interaction. I like how she she observes that he's acting suspicious and that like he's up to something, which he freely acknowledges. Yes, I'm up to something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then and then later on in their conversation, she's talking to him and and he proposes something and she says, well, I'd say you were up to something then. And he said, I've already admitted that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and, and one of the things I, I realized about this episode is a lot of it is just really setting up the situation. Like we, mm-hmm. we get mm-hmm. um, extensive explanations of what is the sphere of freedom, what is immersive games, the company, what's going on with the games. Uh, we find out that the sphere generates gaming interfaces for consumers on over a thousand star systems. And, and they so have on and billions so of billions of users across those thousands of star systems. Right. Yep. And and some are more exclusive than others. There's a definite hierarchy in the games. Uh, mm-hmm. The locals who work there get like credit for the cheap games, but then 
there are more exclusive games that you have to be the fees, I guess, associated with them are so high that you have to be rich to play them. And that's the case with this game, Fugitives, mm. which, of course, Audrey has never played it. She doesn't even bother using the credits she gets. She only occasionally games. Mm. And they're the low-end variety. So she she doesn't really know what goes on in Fugitives. She just knows that's a really exclusive one that only rich aliens play. Right. right. And we also get explanation of the, uh, the, the central arc, which is, I guess, the Really, kind of the server, basically the mm. the server that runs mm-hmm. everything, and that's where the doctor's trying to get. He's trying to get in there to figure out what's going on. Um, and as you mentioned, Jimmy, that like she she explains how she's an indentured servant, essentially like a slave, because she's got to earn yeah. her way, her freedom. Yeah, really, indentures is not slavery. They kind of are bending that one. Historically, what and in, how indentures worked were it was a way. Of, it was basically an apprenticeship. And at least the way she's describing it, this form of indentured servitude was like you would get apprenticed to someone and and you would get room and board. And that's about it until you became a master craftsman, at which point you'd be released from your indentures and start your own business. Yeah. At least that's one way that indentures has worked in the past. So like at the beginning of Pirates of Penzance. Um, the character Frederick has is now 21, and so he's he's served his indentures, and the pirates are toasting him at the beginning because here's to all his great adventures. Frederick's out of his indentures. Mm. Right, right. <laughs> uh, I mean, the way she describes it is it sounds more more. It is more slavery ish, but yeah. yeah, yeah. There is a distinction historically. Yes, and so the doctor, as you said, the doctor makes a promise that. To, to bring you to a better life, but it's, really, again, I guess the, what it what it yeah. sounds like is wage slavery rather than mm. legal slavery. These yes. people are not property, but they just can't make the money. It's like living in a company town where you're in right. debt to the company, and you can effectively right. never earn enough to get out. Right, right. And uh, and so the doctor promises to deliver her to a better life, and it, it's once again it's one of those interesting things that we see the doctor doing, especially in New Who is. Making the grand promises that we're not quite sure he's going to be able to carry out. You know, that's mm-hmm. he, he, he's done this several times throughout from 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. Yeah. Where he's, you know, he's made these promises and sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't. And so it's interesting. Uh, so the we, we find out that someone is using this technology that's inside the central arc to generate time eddies that are somehow connected to this game Fugitives. So and we, we, the. And the technology is inappropriate to this planet, so it's been stolen from somewhere. Right. It is right. stolen technology. And uh, one, in my notes here, as he's talking, keeps talking to this old lady, Audrey, it's like, Audrey knows more than she should as just some mm-hmm. old lady selling headsets on the street. And it's kind of funny, like, that... Uh, yeah, the doctor is- even, even calls her out because she said, yeah. what happened to Nova? How did you know her name was Nova? I heard you talking. Oh, you must have good hearing. I do. Yeah. So what's going on, Doctor? How did you know I'm called the Doctor? I heard it. Well, you hear things a lot, don't you? So he's getting suspicious based on what she seems to know without mm. reasonably having overheard. And what she and I don't think we mentioned it, but what she says, she's an old gamer. So she used to play way back when, and she just kind of dropped off that she wasn't, um, you know. So she's just some person who kind of wanders around selling these headsets or whatever. But she used to play, but she doesn't really anymore. Right, right. I have to say, though, uh, you know, 
props to Audrey as uh, she's a CEO with her hands on the business. I mean, she just gets down to yeah. the nitty gritty. <laughs> apparently, um, she's the undercover boss in this one. Uh, so. <laughs> So, uh, so he, what he's done is he's enlisted Nova, kind of like Kylo Ren. Yeah, yeah. right, right. You, the undercover there was boss, an, <laughs> undercover, undercover boss sketch with Kylo Ren on Saturday Night Live a number of years ago. Radar Tech Chad, I think it was, or something like that. Yeah, where he's undercover. <laughs> so, uh, so he, so the doctor's enlisted Nova to to place a device in the game server in the central arc, uh, and then the TARDIS will release a pulse of temporal energy to seal the eddies off. And shut things down, so on and so forth. Uh, the I, typical. I like how they handle the gizmo he's made because they don't give it a name and they mm-hmm. don't. He's just like, here, take this into the server room and activate it at this time. And he even has to teach her. He has to give her a watch and teach her how to synchronize watches because <laughs> people right. don't use watches anymore. But they they don't just they don't name the gizmo. They just tell us its function, which is fine. I like that. Um, not everything needs a name. But I like the sound design because right. it's clear from Nova's reaction. I mean, she to the gizmo, she she says it's like it looks it looks ridiculous. It looks like you've been rummaging around in a bin. Yes. And the doctor says, oh, you find all kinds of great stuff in bins. But at the same time, as they're talking about it, you can hear this wonky noise that the yep. thing is making. And the sound design is really nice. It effectively conveys. This is some crazy cartoon gizmo thing that he's made out of scraps. Mm-hmm. And it sounds, it, it manages not only from the dialogue, but from the sound, it communicates this thing has just been kludged together. Right. Yeah, you, can, you can imagine some of the devices that, yeah. that you especially saw during the Russell T. Davies era with the, you know, ninth and 10th Doctor, where he's, it literally looks like just take a PCB, a, you know, a, a print a circuit board and just slap crap on it and that's what it looks like yeah uh, right. i can i imagine it with like part of an egg beater and you know a spoon <laughs> yeah. a giant wooden spoon as part of it and things yes. like that yep although in fairness the third doctor did some of that too mm-hmm. right right there's, oh, yeah. there's plenty of that in classic i think i think the seventh doctor had a few of those too um so uh in the present day audrey notes that the doctor's plan didn't work and that's when she reveals, ha ha, you know, silly kids, she does, uh, Scooby-Doo style, that she is the CEO of the Sphere. And she calls the Gamer Guards, which uh, I guess that's what they're called. And uh, he tries to take off on the TARDIS and she fires a time idiot at it and sends him into a uh, into, into a neutron star, which is interesting. Into the gravity well. The gravity mm-hmm. well, right. Uh, inside a neutron star would be, I don't think even the TARDIS could survive that. And mm-hmm. the I think the it, doctor says as much. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then there's this very interesting allusion to the, these suddenly these creatures that want to devour the universe that live in the gravity well. And I suppose those would be the Ravagers, I guess. I mean, we don't get a clear indication of what Ravagers refers to in this one, do we? I guess we'll have to find Not out. Yet. We'll have to wait till the next one. To be continued. To be continued. So and that's that was it. Uh, I, I felt like it was a good story that the, the good beginning of a story. Um, there's plenty of action in it. It mm-hmm. kept, kept you, keeps your attention with, as an audio story has to work. I think I think an audio story sometimes has to work harder because you don't have mm-hmm. the visuals to to keep your attention. So I think it did a pretty good job of that. It was well written. Uh, but it felt kind of short. <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. But uh, so, what do you guys think? Uh, I, I think it's a good start to the story. I think the reason that Big Finish is deviating from their normal standalones with a connecting thread pattern is because this is the return 
mm-hmm. of um of Christopher Eccleston that they wanted to like give us one big satisfying story and so they did it in three parts rather than three standalones. Yeah. Yep, yep. No, I I I enjoyed enjoyed it. Um there's a risk when you're doing these back and forth type stories, these flashback type stories on TV that you make it clear when you're doing a flashback versus mm-hmm. current time. It's even more so when you're doing audio, if you don't have the cues, which I think they did a very good job on this of having mm-hmm. an audio cue. It was kind of like the type sound, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You'll, you know, Wayne's Road, we're doing the hands as we're saying this, but, uh, but they, they did a good are. job of having this sound that when you heard it, it was a flash between current and past, you know, right. so you knew that you were at one place or the other. Um, and that was very effectively done. It was, uh, it, it helped from the confusion because of course, flashback stories can become very confusing very quickly. And yeah. I think they did a good job of, of minimizing that. Yeah, this is, it's certainly, it's, it, it's not, it's actually pretty simple as mm-hmm. far as a nonlinear storytelling technique. I've seen much more convoluted stories than this. Oh, yeah. Because really, we start at the end and then we have a series of flashbacks and the flashbacks are in chronological order. Yeah. Right. They they lead up, I mean, first how the doctor got to Earth and what happened there, then how he got to the sense sphere and met Nova then how Nova got swept away and now we're caught up. Yeah. So it's really, it's, 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 it's linear flashbacks. It's not like citizen Kane where Mm -hmm. you have a framing narrative, but the flashbacks are not in order Mm -hmm. or memento where you have, Mm -hmm. I, it, I, it's, it's sort of, it's actually an inverse order. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, but, but with modern inserts. Yeah. Yeah. So it's right. no, they they did a good, very good job with it, and it's great to hear Christopher Eccleston. He, he you know picks it up so well, mm-hmm. um, and he sounds like he's having fun as an actor yep. in this. Yeah, I'm glad that time has passed and that the that he's been able to embrace being the Doctor again. Um, and then that's that's really nice to see. Mm-hmm. So, any final notes on this one, Father Corey? No, that was that was it, Jimmy. J- just one thing that again, this j- is just a personal resonance for me. But the science fiction author Larry Niven has a series called Known Space. And in the Known Space universe, you can only go faster than light if you're out of a gravity well. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in the case of Earth's solar system, you have to get past Neptune before you can turn on your hyperdrive because inside of Neptune's orbit, the gravity well around the sun is too steep. And, and if you don't, if you turn on a hyperdrive in a gravity well, and it can be anything like Mars size and up mm-hmm. is enough to to do this, but your ship will vanish and never reappear. Mm. And there is a debate among mathematicians and physicists about why this is. Nobody knows. Is it because you're flipped? Is it, is it because you're annihilated? Is it because you're flipped up out of the universe? Is it you're flipped into a parallel universe? All people really know is if you turn on a hyperdrive in a gravity well, you will vanish. And one of the early heroes in um, the known space stories is a guy named Beowulf Schaefer, who's a pilot. And he's kind of a, a smart aleck. And his theory is there are monsters that live in the gravity well that will eat you. Hmm. And so decades go by. And uh, with storytelling and in one of the last novels set in known space, it turns out 
yeah, there are monsters living in the gravity well that will eat you. That's been the explanation the whole time. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I immediately thought of these monsters around the neutron star who are ready to eat all matter in the universe. <laughs> okay. Funny, funny. All right. So that should do it for this. Uh, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Diane F., Pascal H., Carl H., Chris S., and Darren W. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of The Sphere of Freedom, this first part of a three-part Ninth Doctor Big Finish story? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next Ninth Doctor Big Finish story, Cataclysm. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, oh brave new world that has such people in it. <laughs> 